Hi everybody, John Porteous from the Lovells Township Historical Society here, and you're listening to the Backcast Podcast. This week, we've got a great episode. I'm going to let Glenn do the intro, uh, but I think you're going to have a really good time, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Well, welcome, uh, uh, Backcast Podcast uh, listeners. Uh, this is Glenn Eberly with uh, John Porteous from Lovells Township Historical Society, and uh, we have a treat for our listeners today, John. We have, uh, uh, I, I think, probably all of our listeners are familiar with the with Trout Unlimited and the wonderful work uh, it uh, performs in for our wet, uh, fresh uh, cold water fisheries. And uh, uh, they're probably aware that uh, Trout Unlimited was formed on the mainstream of the Osable in Grayling, Michigan. And uh, many of them, most of them, are well aware of the name Art Newman and uh, his involvement with uh, Trout Unlimited. Well, we are especially excited today about having uh, Gary Newman and Doug Newman, two of Art's sons, with us on the podcast. So we're going to chat with these two gentlemen about uh, uh, the Newman family. And uh, uh, guys, uh, maybe I'd start by saying... uh, uh, with with such a, uh, a well-known and respected uh, father, uh, tell tell us what it was like growing up uh, in the Art Newman family. Got a number of siblings, and give us a feel for what that was like. Well, there's no doubt that uh, we had a bit of a spotlight on us at times. I think that's <laughs> a fair statement. And uh, <clears throat> if it wasn't a real spotlight, uh, our father was one that that uh, kept close track of us anyway. So we were under his spotlight if nobody else's. Would you agree with that, Doug? Absolutely, Gary. Um, one, of the, one of the interesting things about our father that a lot of folks really don't grasp, he was born in, on Halloween of 1916, and he didn't pass till the spring of 2016, which is a good haul for anybody to make. Uh, and he packed a lot in in that nearly 100 years on God's green earth. Yeah, he, he sure did. He sure did. Um, now, now, uh, uh, how old was he when uh, TU was started? How old was your dad in 1959? Well, let's see. He was born in 1916. He was, yeah, he would have been 53. So, so 53. Uh, and um, <clears throat> go ahead. Yep. Go ahead. So in uh, 59, uh, TU was formed. You're right on the banks of the Osable uh, uh, at George Griffith's place, actually, uh, was the initial meeting. And I think there were 16 or 18 attendees at that. And uh, when, when the meeting broke up, my father left as the first vice president of Trouble Limited. Uh, so summer or late summer of 1959, as I remember it, he... Uh, of course, was very active as the vice president, but uh, also became their very first executive director in their early 60s, and he spent a little over two years uh, in a very uh, formative time or period of Trouble Limited, because that was uh, when they were trying to establish chapters, and uh, I think that uh, during his tenure, maybe 30 or 35 chapters were formed, and the organization really got a good start there. Uh, By the way, he he was quote-unquote on loan from his 
usual job as a tool and die maker, and he took a leave of absence to do that work with Trout Unlimited. I, I heard that story from your dad one time, and, and as I recall, uh, T.U. talked to the uh, executives at Eaton Corporation. I think that's who he worked for, wasn't it? It was, Eaton Corporation. <clears throat> he worked for Eaton Corporation, and the executives of T.U. told uh, told the uh, Eaton guys, hey, we really need this fella. Uh, can you give us give him a leave of absence, make sure he doesn't lose any any uh, seniority uh, by taking a leave of absence, and uh, we will we will pay his salary. Uh, but as you, I recall from your dad saying that what happened is that they, they paid his salary and kept him whole that way, but uh, he, he had the benefit of making some money on the overtime uh, in tool and die work, and that disappeared completely uh, because there were no provisions for any overtime pay. He wasn't complaining about it. Guys, that's not the point, but he's just making a point that, uh, you know, they, they tried to make him, make him whole, but uh, he ended up taking a cut uh, uh, for the good cause of Trout Unlimited. Yep, I, I'm not remembering that particular story because there were a lot of them. That sounds just <laughs> like our father. <laughs> it sure does. <laughs> it does, yes. Yeah. We, we have guys, a, guys, would it be fair to say at that point in time that when he became the executive director that he was, as I understand it, basically responsible for keeping TU going and and being able to take it past survivability into a whole nother level. I would agree with that, John. And an interesting uh, part of that was he, I can remember distinctly, working the, uh, let's say, deeper-pocketed members of, of this fledging organization so they could make payroll. I mean, it was not something where they had a, a major bank account. They didn't. They were, in fact, in an office building that was owned by a friend of my father's in downtown Saginaw. Mm-hmm. So they paid no rent. And they still had uh, two gals on the payroll and my father. And so they did have a, a obligation to make payroll. And it, it was a challenge some months to make that happen. It wasn't easy road to hoe, so to speak. Uh, and, and guys, I, I heard stories of your dad, I think from your dad, about the early days when he was on the road uh, drumming up support for uh, TU uh, in two areas, both uh, both trying to establish chapters and also doing some politicking in Washington, trying to get support of, uh, of legislators. Um, and uh, he, he told me, in his words, he said, Glenn, this wasn't fancy travel. I'd stay in a $5 motel room. And I'd heat spaghetti on an iron uh, in my room to eat, and uh, we were we were on a real tight shoestring. So, uh, when you think of traveling around the country today as businessmen's travel, uh, I didn't really have a chance to do much of that. So, <laughs> that was a, an insight that I appreciated hearing, and and uh, knowing your father a little bit, uh, I could see him doing that, uh, being very careful with the with the money. Uh, and and uh, there's a great story about uh, I think didn't he get uh, was it Eisenhower uh, support for TU at some point? Yes. Um, Eisenhower was a fly fisherman. And I don't know all the particulars of how that was played out with Trump Limited, but uh, President Eisenhower was involved. Yes, I agree. And, and, and that, that helped propel uh, TU in, in some other circles that uh, 
uh, were, were difficult to, 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 to reach, I would guess, too. Oh, I'm sure, yes, for sure. Um, might be an appropriate time to mention just one little point there about Doug and my mother. So my father is really involved, I mean, deeply involved in Toronto Limited in this 1960 to, say, 64 time frame. Mm-hmm. And uh, my brother that's on this line right now was born in 1959, and he was followed in 1960 with our youngest sister, Linda. <laughs> and we we share a brother who's a, a 1956 birth date. So it wasn't like my mother didn't have her hands full at home, but she held everything together and uh, provided for the kids and, and and supported my father all in one fell stroke. Mm. That's amazing. The story about uh, behind every good man is a strong, powerful woman. I guess that comes right back, doesn't it? It does. Yes, yes. it does. Uh, I have a I have a question. Um, tell tell us what it was like uh, fishing with Dad. Hmm. Doug did more um, of that than I did, so why don't you give that a pass, Doug? Uh, yeah, yeah. Share, share us with that. Share some stories about fishing with your dad. It is very true that that Dad and I spent a good a deal of time fishing, um, and and he loved it. Um, he was especially fond of fishing the North Branch of the Asable, as we all know. Um, that was definitely that was his home river. Um, I want to guess, um, Gary. When did Dad retire? Nineteen seventy-one. Nineteen seventy-one. So thereafter. You know, Dad was able to fish considerably more than he had previously. And, of course, I, too, was coming of age because in 71, I was 12 and, and, and becoming much more able than I was previously. Um, so for me, from, from that time, uh, really until I moved from Michigan to Florida, which was 1985, Dad and I spent a lot of time fishing. Most of that time was probably spent on the North Branch. I would say not most. It, it was the vast majority of the time was spent on the North Branch, um, especially in the in the water between Lovells and Kellogg's Bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, Dad, Dad had permission to, to fish a couple large private parcels, and, 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 and he used that, 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 um, that very nice gesture from those landowners. He used it a lot. Um, we were always good, you know, about fishing, never taking any fish, hardly ever. Um, and, and, and so, yes, uh, when it came time to fish, you know, say late April, um, May and June, we fished a lot. Um, mm. We fished a little bit, a little bit in the summertime, say, you know, July and August. Um, but oftentimes when we would come north at, at, in those months, July and August, we would also bring with us golf clubs. Oh. And, and, and and so we might have, you know, um, a, a long weekend where we spent maybe a day or two fishing and also some time spent on the golf course. He loved to play golf. Oh, I don't um, think that about your dad. That's interesting. He loved it, yep. Um, dad Dad liked all forms of fishing. Um, he wasn't real fond of nymph fishing, but he loved to streamer fish, and he was very good at it. Um yeah, like the rest of us, he also loved to dry fly fish. Oh, I know he loved um, that. He did. 
I, I just completed um, a little uh, project here. Dad has given me, or had given me, his favorite bamboo fly rod, and 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 it's it's the one I guess Supreme six foot eight model, um, and I put it in a in a shadow box basically. And, oh no! And, and yep, and I I watched him. I, I grew up and learned how to fish watching him fish with that rod. Six Dad eight. was a six foot eight. He he was a very good fly caster and an excellent uh, fisherman, and and there's nothing like watching somebody do it if you want to learn how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it is very helpful to have somebody right there. Lots of times here in Michigan and, and elsewhere, like I'm thinking about out west where we would go, Dad would oftentimes have me next to him. He would hook a fish and give me the rod, especially oh. in my very young days. Yeah, very common. We would fish, okay. you know, right together. He also had a penchant for fishing very small creeks. Um the kind that you you basically you got a fish together you, you know one couldn't go after the other uh, due to the the very small nature of the of the creeks and small streams that we fished but he liked that kind of fishing mm. he was he was not terribly fond of big water you know uh. his one of his one of his favorite sayings that he said just a thousand times was he liked water that was um, big enough to hold decent fish but small enough to be friendly. In other words, easy oh. to wade. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and hence the North Branch was was perfect because that's you know that 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 really fit that description. Sure did. Um, uh, yeah. Um, yes. You know, when you talk about access, he must have had lots of uh, private access because of his uh, involvement with TU and and uh, his familiarity with the North Branch and and the property owners. I do recall one time when he. I was interviewing him for uh, uh, our historical society and uh, uh, talked about fishing in the North Branch. And he, he got his wallet out and he pulled out a tattered old letter and he opened it up and he said, Glenn, this is my, um, my personal letter giving me permission to fish at Marianne Lodge. Yep. By, by Mr. Kunzel, who was uh, the owner at the time. And uh, that was a tattered old thing. I mean, I don't know if it had been scotch taped, but it, it, if it hadn't, it needed to be. Uh, <laughs> it was a treat to see that. And, and he just he had it in his wallet all the time. And, and uh, I'm not sure he ever had to use it, but uh, it was a it was a treasured possession. And I, I had great respect for that. I thought <laughs> that's wonderful. Yep. He must have had a few others tucked away too that I don't know about. But but you're right, Glenn. He, he treasured that that. Um, that written permission he had received from the Kenzels. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he loved to fish that property because uh, it, cause it, once again, was that small river, um, you know, small enough to be friendly but big enough to hold good fish. And, yep. and it was outstanding Thanks. fishing in its day, yes. That's a, that's a great I, quote, I, small enough to be friendly. Yes. Yeah. There's a spot Thanks. there in that stretch called Newman's Hole. Oh, really? There oh, is. Nice. Yeah. There yep. is. Um it would be at the upper end of the um, of that property. Well, I shouldn't say the upper end. It'd be about in the middle, probably, because the property is so long. Um, but yes, it's it, it, it's a spot that Dad um, <laughs> would never miss the chance to fish if he was going there, Newman's mm-hmm. Hole. Oh, Gary, I'd like to I'd like to see that, Doug. Gary, uh, I get to fish that some myself, and I'd really like to see where where that where the the park. Where it's called Newman's Hole, I'd, I'd love to do that. Yeah, 
That'd be nice. We'll have to make a kayak run one day. Okay. Yeah, here, let's do it. <laughs> nope. It's and by the way, the... Uh, go ahead, John. Oh, I'm sorry. I was just, you know, to that end, was there a particular hatch that he favored? Um, the only thing I would say about that is generally Dad wasn't real big on nighttime fishing. Now, the North Branch, North Branch had, had, had good drake hatches, um, and, and Dad would, would definitely fish them. Um, but, yeah, starting in April with, you know, with, with Hendrickson and maybe even the, the, the hatches that preceded them, like I think he would call them early stone or iron stone, iron done, um, and, and the granum hatches. Um, you know, even those early hatches would not escape his attention. So, you know, but, but generally the Hendrickson through, you know, pale evening done and sulfurs and, and into the drakes, um, which would take you basically from the end of April um, well into June. Mm. He, he enjoyed it all. Love it. He, I, nice. I, I can remember a night one one time in particular, Drake hatching, Drake, Drake fishing, at, at the at the Marianne Lodge, uh, with some other invitees of Dad's. Um, the bugs were so heavy um, that basically none of us had much luck. Mm-hmm. And we all got back together at the car and we asked each other how we all did, and and we all basically said, you know, we got skunked. And, and Dad said, well, I was able to find a couple fish, and we all looked at him like, how did you do that, Dad? And, and and Dad confessed, somewhat of a confession. He says, "I well, no, I think somebody asked Dad Art, what did you catch them on?" And Dad said, "On streamers." <laughs> so, <laughs> so Dad was a good fisherman that way. You know, here you have fish actively feeding, too many bugs on the water, but the fish are active and feeding. So he 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 surmised that you know if the fish are looking for something to eat. Let's just not give them what they've got so much of. Let's give them something just a little bit different. That's clever. And, that's very good. And, idea. And, isn't that something? <laughs> it's yeah. clever. Yes, indeed. That's problem solving. You know, on a river, I've heard a lot of people say <laughs> the best part of fishing is solving the problem. You know, they're not hitting this, yep. so what are they going to hit? <laughs> yep. Good story. He loved his streamer fishing. He, he he was very good at it. Yeah, you you mentioned the early hatches. Uh, he, he gave me a uh, a copy of his... Uh, his uh, hatch infamic, his hatch booklet, I think it was. Um, yes. That's so famous. And he handed me an, a, an, a, a sheet that should be put in it. And he said, Glenn, when I did the book, I didn't include the little black caddis, early black caddis, yep. because yep. it doesn't really hatch on the water. It doesn't, it doesn't uh, come up from the bottom and, and uh, fly off of the surface of the water. It crawls out up into the trees and brushes, and then uh, and then uh, uh, completes its its cycle to the point of a fly, and then it falls in the water. But it doesn't really hatch out of the water. And so he said, this this paper uh, now has uh, the black caddis on it to include in my hatch uh, my hatch booklet. And I, I thought that was interesting. Yep. Even after he published it, he said, okay, there's still more to learn, and uh, uh, he added the black caddis. Then you're right. That 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 little booklet was very um, prolific. Um, I think it's officially called Michigan Fly Hatches and Their Imitations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Gary, Gary, would you know how many printings it's been through? Oh, oh. I, I'd I'd have to say a dozen or more. Yeah. Yes, I, I agree. Yep. There, there just wasn't that much Michigan fly hatch information 
in the fly fishing community at that time. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so this provided a lot of insight, to, especially to those that weren't familiar with fly fishing but wanted to get into it. And, of course, we all want to, to dry fly fish if we can, and, and, and this was a blueprint for, for helping, especially a newbie, a, a newcomer to the sport, to help them do just that. And he really liked that, didn't he? He really liked introducing people to the sport. He oh, really he did. did, Glenn. Yep, he did. Um, and by the way, we're talking about a time in fly fishing equipment when it was very difficult to match a rod and a line. I remember that real specifically from uh, in the backyard, standing next to Dad, and he is testing lines with different rods or vice versa. And he carried a pair of scissors in his hip pocket, and he'd trim fly lines <laughs> to improve their performance. And I remember early, early fiberglass. So we're just moving from bamboo into fiberglass. And fiberglass rods, when they came out, had their own issues. And I can remember Dad in the shop with a file, a rat tail file, working down fiberglass blanks to his liking action-wise. Interesting. Wow. That one-a-gas shop, I think most of... Uh, uh, most of our podcast listeners are aware that your dad had a uh, a fly fishing shop, one uh, I guess, uh, at his at his home, uh, and and uh, he he told me a wonderful story about a young fellow that uh, came out. Actually, no, he didn't tell me uh, when we had the exhibit on on uh, Art Newman uh, uh, at the one gas shop recreated in our historical society. A man who oh maybe now he's probably maybe sixty years old came in and saw the uh, cutout that uh, Eric uh, Bankhead had done of your dad, which is so dramatic, uh, sitting at the counter, leaning over the counter. It's almost as if he's right there saying hi to you, the big smile on his face, and you, you both have. Um, but uh, this man said, uh, I first met Art. I was told, I was just starting to get into fly fishing, and somebody says, well, you've got to go talk to Art Newman. Uh, and so he said he took off a little bit early on a Friday, about 3.30, and he went over to Art's uh, shop, Wanagas, and went in and told Mr. Newman, I- I'm new to this, uh, I've got a rod, and I've got uh, you know reel, but I don't know much about it, and can you help me? So uh, I- he went into the shop and, and talked with Art, and uh, this young man said, uh, I looked out after about half an hour, and here's about three, four guys waiting to come in. And he looked at your dad, he said, uh, Mr. Newman, there's a bunch of guys outside that, that want to come in, and um, he said, Mr. Newman looked at me, Art Newman looked at me, and he said, young man, you and I are talking about fishing and conservation. When we're finished, you can leave, and one of them will come in. <laughs> and he said, that sounds I, like him. <laughs> I said, he, he said, I never, the man said, I never forgot that, uh, but I don't remember what he said. I was so nervous keeping those guys out, and I didn't know what, <laughs> what happened to me when I, when I went out the door. Uh, but <laughs> Uh, I, love that. I love that story. I, oh, yeah. but, but Glenn, it, it's a good point. You know, it, it, bringing in the, the the new blood into fly fishing was something that Dad really cherished, and and, and I think he instilled that in both Gary and I. And we we enjoy doing the very same. Mm-hmm. Yep, we do. Yep, that's I think, true. I think you both do it. Yes, indeed. By the way, I got, I got to tell you a story along the same kind of vein. 
I'm probably a youngish teenager, not yet driving, but I got a few friends that are playing around with dying flies. So I said to my father, I said, Dad, do you think I ought to start learning how to tie flies? He said, Son, we got a couple hundred dozen of them out back. I don't think you need to bother. <laughs> he, he, he called it inventory shrinkage, and he was real generous with Doug and I. Meaning, yes, he was. If, if you needed leaders or flyers or that kind of stuff, just just don't get get too aggressive with it. But I expect some inventory shrinkage in the shop. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah, awesome. on the. On the on the fishing gear side, Dad really enjoyed the um, oh the, the the designing and, and engineering, if you will, of rod blanks and, and the assembly of rods. He did a lot of that himself, in the, especially in the early days. He also enjoyed um, the, the 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 design of leaders, and and and, yeah. and, and he you know he, he he sold his own design of leaders. Um, now, when it comes to fly tying, it's just like Gary says. He didn't want me to be any part of it. Um, he had a he had a network of fly tires that would tie flies that he sold at Wanna Gas Rod Company, and, and and I would say they would number maybe six or eight or ten different people. But he had very demanding standards. Um, he would provide them with samples of exactly what he wanted and how they were tied and, and what materials were used to tie the flies. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he was very exacting in that regard. Uh, but did he ever get into tying? Clearly, the answer is no. I'll support that statement because uh, we had a, uh, one of our uh, very famous guides on the North Branch and a heck of a, well, actually the Osavo system and a Manistee, Sam Surrey. Uh, and uh, Sam was one of your dad's uh, fly tires. And Sam yes. was uh, on one of our podcasts, uh, one of the very popular ones, according to John, who does all our metrics. Uh, and Sam told me that uh, uh, the only man that had ever rejected any of his fly shipments was Art Newman. He sent a supply of uh, a certain fly to Art, and uh, Art had called him and said, Sam, this fly isn't right. And he said, Mr. Newman, it, yeah, it, it's, it's right. He said, Sam? You tied him on the wrong hook. Um, Sam yeah. said, Mr. Newman, it's it's real close. He said, Sam, it's on the wrong hook. <laughs> I'm sending him back. And Sam said, Mr. Newman, you're right. I'll replace him. And Sam says he did. The only guy that ever re- <laughs> returned to Sam Surrey fly. And, and yeah. uh, he had the greatest respect for your dad. Uh, I guess your dad had told him uh, early on, he said, young man, I just want you to make sure you understand you're not going to make a living tying flies. Yep. <laughs> Sam yep. says, oh, sir, I've got a GM job I'm going to keep. Uh, and Art says, that's a good idea. <laughs> 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 hey, this is fun, John. I'm enjoying the hell out of this. <laughs> yeah. Hey, guys, on the, on the gear side, uh, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he uh, have a rather unique, uh, material, uh, I want to say, is it Nylorphy? Mm-hmm. Am I saying that Nylorphy. right? Yes, Nylorphy. Yes. Um, and John and Glenn, if you want to try one out, I got a number of dozens of them, and I'd be glad oh. to let you test really? one. Really? Okay. Um, what is it? It was, 
it's a leader material. Uh, I'm going to say, Doug, it's French. Is that right? I, I really don't know, Gary. Um, I, I wouldn't know if there is a difference between nylorphy and monofilament. Um, well, I think they're very similar. I agree with you. Uh, yeah. Kind of like strand and something else. But <clears throat> my father, uh, towards towards the end of his commercial production of leaders, was using nylorphy, and he was real fond of it. And uh, oddly enough, in my later years, I mean, within the last six, eight years, I have met a few people that still insist on using nylorphy, but they can't find it because, of course, it's all out of production. But uh, right. Again, I have. How do you spell it? N y l, I think. L yes. n y l o. F i. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And I, I believe it. Not to correct Gary, but N y l o r. Might be. I believe. I've got some upstairs I could look at the spool. Okay, no, that's <laughs> all right. I just seem to recall that he thought it was maybe a, a little more supple than whatever yep. else was available at that point. Yeah, my <laughs> recollection, John, would, would be that he started with a, a different material when I was very young, and then maybe about that retirement age, you know, 71 or so, he went to this Nylorphy material, and he liked it, and he, and he used it. Uh, you know, through the through the remainder of having the rod shop, yes. In fact, we started with Plato. Um, yes, that, I remember that, that word. Plato yep. was the first one, and then Nylorphy was the second one. Oh, yep. But similar materials. Yes. Mhm. Mhm. Mm yep. Now these were all um, knotted, you know, leaders, and sure. he had a he had a crew of ladies on the west side of Michigan that tied all of his leaders. And there was a period, um, about the time he retired, this was going very strong. He was tying for Cortland Line Company, and they carried his leaders under their own name. Mm -hmm. So you could, uh, at that period, buy these hand-tied, knotted, nylorphy leaders from Cortland, uh, I don't think they were advertised as being made out of nylorphy, but uh, he supplied hundreds and hundreds of dozens of flies, I mean of leaders, to Cortland Mine Company. I'll be darned. Through his tires on the west side. Yes. Yep. Yep. Interesting. And, and if, Gary, if, if memory serves, Dad and a former partner of Wanna Gas Rod Company both set out to design each other uh, a leader, but they did so independently. In other words, Dad did it, and then the partner did it. And they ended up basically at the very same place. Really? And, and, oh. and yeah, if memory serves, that, that, that very same place was a leader that was constructed of 20 or 25% butt, 20 or 25% tippet, and the remainder a rapid step down. Yep. Mm -hmm. So you know, rapid step down really strikes my my uh, memory. You're right. Yep. Heavy butt, yep. rapid step down. Yep. Yep. He he long heavy butt, rapid step down, and then and then long tippet. Um, know, overall but, length. You know, what, what, you know well, the the lengths he sold were seven and a half, ten foot, and twelve and a half feet. Mm -hmm. Those mm -hmm. are, those are the three selections in, in terms of length. 
Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the leader, you know, the, the leader packet had a nice um, uh, graph or, or, or um, helpful information on the back of it as, so that a, a beginning angler would know what size leader, what length leader, what size tippet to use with what size fly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, obviously, the you know the smaller the fly, then the smaller the tippet. Yes. Sure. In fact, uh, some of that assistance on leader development and promotion also came from Leon Martouche, who was the founder of Scientific Anglers. Oh, yeah. So, so Leon started making fly lines in his wife's oven. <laughs> when he was testing the plastic fly line, quote-unquote. So I can remember distinctly on a camping trip with Dad, uh, I might have been 10 or 12, and it's a weekend, of course, and we're in this camping area, and a guy in a Carmen Ghia comes driving through this camping area, dragging fly lines off the rear bumper. (laughs) And it was Leon Martouche. And and our father had been testing his lines uh, because Dad even then had had a a known name as a fly fisherman, you know. So Mm -hmm. they they were chatting with each other, and I'm kind of on the sidelines. And so I had to ask, uh, excuse me, but why are all these lines out here? And Leon says, I'm testing them for abrasion in the sand. (laughs) <laughs> so, I thought I I didn't realize the significance of it because <laughs> I was too young. But sure, it, it it was an interesting meeting, no doubt about oh, it. My gosh, this, the now it was one of the. the er- what was that? I'm sorry, Glenn. No, I was right. going to say, um, at that point, was he developing? What is? Was it the airflow line? Air cell. Thank you. Wasn't it? Okay. Yep. Air was the first one, and and it was the first one that did not need to be, of course, dressed. Now I started fishing with my dad using bamboo and silk lines. So you'd fish a couple hours, and then you'd get up on the bank and you'd you'd t- take twenty or thirty feet of your fly line. And just let it air out between a couple of trees, and uh, and then grease it down, and it'd be good for a couple of hours again. And this muesli they used, or muselix, mucinix was the name. <clears throat> Excuse me, muselin, muselin, little red ten. Yes. Yeah. And then we graduated from that to fiberglass, and the rest is history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, your dad did some work with uh, 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 the more exotic uh, rods after fiberglass, didn't he? He got into the uh, uh, the next level. Well, graphites. He he did get into graphites, and and I'd have to say my personal opinion, he was never a fan of graphite, and and kind of like um, everything was second to bamboo. Quality bamboo, in my dad's eye, I think, was the premier thing to fish with. Would you agree, Doug? Oh, absolutely. He, he, he was not impressed with, with graphite whatsoever. 
Um, now, hmm. I think it's you know, personally, I think graphite has come a long way over the many years, you know, ever, you know, and certainly since Dad stopped fishing, which was probably in his early 80s. Um, but yeah, the early days of graphite, they were they were pretty rough. They they were not subtle, um, you know, fishing tools. Um, and, and he far preferred the the old graphite, or excuse me, the old bamboo, especially his favorite rod. Mm-hmm. And by the way, uh, our father was a a good personal friend of Paul Young, and and that was a, a positive thing from a business standpoint, also because my father then had access to Paul's blanks. And another interesting story I'll never forget was I couldn't have been more than maybe four or five, and my father took me on one of his probably yearly trips to Detroit to visit with Paul. So we arrive in Detroit, and Paul and his rod business was relatively small in comparison to the sporting goods store that the Young family ran then. I mean, they had outdoor, I mean, outboard boats and motors and lots and lots of stuff other than just fly fishing. But the day we were there, Paul was working in his shop, and he was heat-treating blanks. Uh, Paul Young is famous for hardened cane or flame-hardened his cane. So I'm standing there with my dad, and here's this guy I don't know, although my dad's chatting with him, and he's running these bamboo blanks into this ring, literally, of fire, some kind of gas, probably propane, and I said to my dad, I said, Dad, he's going to burn his hands. And Paul Young said, don't worry, son, I've been doing this a long time. I'm not burning my hands. <laughs> and it was fun. Oh, sure. Remembering it's fun. Yeah. Oh, my. Great stories. Great stories. Uh, Wanna Gas Shop. Uh, when, and now, you said there was a partner in the beginning, and I guess I recall that. Uh, but he, I think your dad bought him out fairly quickly. Uh, if I remember correctly. And then uh, he ran that out of a chicken coop in the beginning, and then it uh, morphed into a garage. You guys remember the chicken coop? Oh, yeah. Yeah, once again, you know, as Gary, or as we all mentioned, I was born in 59. And and I can remember, so this is within memory, but I'm going to say I wasn't probably past six or eight years old. And so that would make it, um, you know, 65, 67. Um, we tore down that old chicken coop. But I have no working memory or no no recollection of the rod shop ever being lo- located in that chicken coop. Um, so, you know, ever since I was, you know, as long as I can remember, the rod shop was where it was at the time it, it stopped operation, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the garage. Yeah, okay. Yes. Converted however, however, I can remember going out to the chicken coop with my dad, and I was very young, um, four or five years old, maybe even a bit younger than that, and I'd sit on a stool next to him watching him work, and uh, it, it was really, really small, and there was a lathe that took up the whole end of the shop, but uh, that that's what he used I'd say for the first 
eight or so years. And uh, by the way, he had at one time, at the very beginning, three members or three um, partners. Their names were Bill Mang, Bob Shopper, and Bob Nixon. Hmm. Um, Nixon and Shopper, as I recollect, dropped out very early on, maybe maybe just a year. And, and this is probably going into the late 40s or early 50s. Bill Mang uh, stayed around until I was about 7th or 8th grade. Let it make me 12 or 13, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember when my father bought him out because I was the person that Dad pulled into Bill Mang's driveway and I had the envelope in my hand and Dad said, don't lose that, son. It's got a lot of money in it. <laughs> and I went up and knocked on the door, and Bill came to the door, and I said, Dad asked me to deliver this. He said, thank you, and that was that. But I remember that visit. Now, were any of those guys involved in uh, the equipment or, or dealing with customers, or were they just uh, behind-the-scenes uh, partners? Well, you said one of them was working on a leader. Well, I know that Bill Mang, um, if you found it a, a very old Wanigas Rod Company, Rod, he did all of the of the lettering on the rod. He, oh, okay. he was he was um, an employee Monday through Friday of Lufkin Rule, and and that's what he did for Lufkin Rule. Uh, he had a beautiful hand, meaning as when, good as your dad's. No, my <laughs> dad did it beautifully in cursive. He did it beautifully in block. Okay, he, he could. Uh, yeah. See, that's something but, I didn't know. Oh, you didn't know that, Doug? No, no, I didn't know that. No. Interesting. And in fact, uh, I had one of those rods with with uh, Bill Mang's uh, lettering on it, and uh, I passed it along some years ago. And I tried before I did that to reach out to him to see if he'd give me a letter of authenticity, but he was already in very ill health. Oh gosh! Okay, okay. <clears throat> now I, 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 I believe all of those guys remained fishing friends, and, and I, I think, I, yeah, I think at least three of them, if not all of them, continued typically to fish, especially on the opening weekend of trout season. That was oh, yeah. that was the guys' weekend. That's right. It was, Doug. Yeah, and, uh, and, and always the the next weekend, the second weekend of trout season was this. It was the father-son weekend, so that that was always reserved for like Gary and and I to go fishing with Dad the second weekend of trout op- or the second weekend after trout opener. Oh, that's a neat story. Yep, that's true. Yeah. Were there other father and sons along, or was it just you and, and your dad? Um, usually it was just just the boys and and Dad. I can remember taking. I remember one weekend in particular. Um, it was father-son weekend. And we took the two surviving sons of a good friend of his. His, his last name was Leach, Gary. Yep. And 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 then we took them. We took those two boys with us fishing for the weekend. Um, I think his name was Art Leach, and and he had recently passed. And so that was a gesture on you know Dad's part to oh, you know nice. to, yep to you know just to ease their burden a little bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Nice. And I can remember other weekends that that weren't just he and I. I remember one weekend in particular at Whipperwill. Um, 
Club Whippoorwill on the mainstream. This would be yeah. below Stefan's and above Wakely. Mm-hmm. I remember spending a weekend there with a number of other similar situated anglers. In other words, fathers and sons. Oh, um, I, I remember. Uh, I might have been, I don't know, ten or twelve, but somehow I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned fishing trips, and uh, one of our board members, uh, Steve Johnson, uh, knew your dad quite well, and and uh, even went on some trips with him. And I believe it was Steve that. Uh, uh, gave us uh, a copy of the uh, letter that Art sent to the group that was going fishing, I believe in Canada. And this letter was detailing what to bring. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> you guys are probably going to laugh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> if, if you remember that, I mean, he had, I think, three or four pages of what to bring on this fishing trip. And yes. he didn't miss a thing. I mean, no. even to the point of rubber bands, uh, extra handkerchiefs, yes. uh, <laughs> batteries, band-aids, you know, uh, tooth, uh, everything. I mean, this was page after page of things, cameras. I wish I could, <laughs> I wish I could show everybody the list. Uh, uh, yeah, it was just about any Boy Scout checklist to shame. Yeah, it sure was. <laughs> he, he was a detailed fellow, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Very detailed. <laughs> when you yes. when you when you packed for a trip and if you were his son, he checked your stuff as you put it in the bag. <laughs> really? Yep. Yeah. That's true. Yep. Oh my God, that's wonderful. That's yeah. <laughs> he referred to it as the as the checklist. The checklist. Yep. Yes, that's that's exactly what it was. But it was yep. like three, four pages, everything. My gosh, yep. from clothing to food to uh, medicines to personal grooming. Uh, equipment, yep. uh, uh, fire starters. Oh my God! It was it was a. <laughs> if if yep. I was going to start a, a a shop to to supply fishermen, I just get that list and say, okay, I need all of this. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, yeah, I got a story. I got a story that goes along with that. So, okay. I was on a trip with our father, and there were two other adult male fishermen, four of us. So. I believe it was to Canada, as I remember, and it's about a four-day trip. So we're in Canada, and we're at about day two and a half, and we're running out of coffee. (laughs) These two guys say, Art, don't you have any more coffee? And Art says, I didn't think you were going to drink it by the gallon. <laughs> so, so Dad was a little offended that he mis- <laughs> misunderstood how much they might drink because they were the kind of guys that would drink coffee all day long. Oh, hell, yeah. So it, they burned through it. They, they burned, burned through, through it. it. But they, as I remember it, it, it was a fly-in trip, and we were at a campsite that had been used other times by other people. And one of these two guys found a little food cache, and it was a half a can of coffee, and it saved the day. (laughs) (laughs) It it didn't taste too good anymore, but it was still coffee, you know. It was brown and hot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Good good story. Good story. Yeah, good memories. Now, your your dad liked to catch fish on small rods, too, didn't he? I mean, that was... Oh, yes. And and probably, you know, he, he might have done some damage to some of them, because I guess we've learned... Much later, uh, that uh, you know, the, the more you play a fish, the more the, the, the 
uh, potentially damage it, maybe even uh, end its life. But um, was your dad ever aware of any of that, or was that ever part of, of the discussion? Well, I would have to say that was one of those fads that occurred during his time frame in that business, meaning this ultralight thing just went crazy for a number of years. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, there wasn't too much concern about length of time playing a fish, which you are absolutely right, has its own serious detriments to the fish. Mm-hmm. But my my father has made bamboo fly rods down in the sub-two-ounce category, and mm-hmm. the family has his shortest ever. It is a four-and-a-half-foot two-piece with spare tip Paul Young blank fly rod. So when you're talking two and a half, four and a half feet, I remember him showing that to someone in the fly shop, and they said, this would be a great ice fishing rod. Because <laughs> 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 it was so damn small, you know. Yeah, sure. Do, do you remember him using that? Uh, he, it, it has been fished. Uh, okay. I can tell that from Mark's on the uh, reel seat. It's a you know slippering skeleton reel seat, but mm-hmm. but there's an impression from a real um, foot on that cork. So it has been used. Um, I've never put it together. I don't think Doug has either. Oh, I'll be damned. <laughs> well, I'm looking at a picture in my my den of uh, Art with a. It looks like about a six foot rod. He's a. Uh, it's below. The water's up halfway up his uh, leg to his knee, and uh, he's got probably a 18-inch trout on that thing. Uh, crystal clear water, and I think that was in Canada somewhere. Uh, I'm sure you fellows have seen that picture, but uh, I love it. Art's, Art's got a small rod and a big fish, and uh, can't quite see the smile on the face, but I know it's there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he would love that. Yep. <laughs> John, did you have a chance to know Art at all? I, I never had the pleasure. Um, oh, gosh. I feel pr- pr- pretty lucky that uh, I've been able to cross paths with Gary and Doug. They, uh, mm-hmm. But no, I did not have an opportunity to meet their father. Yeah. Well, when we had our first exhibit in 2003 for the museum, and somebody said, uh, well, you're doing history of uh, trout fish. You've got to talk to Art Newman. And I called your dad, and I told him, I gave him my name, and I told him what we were doing, and he said, well, uh, I'm not big on history, young man, but come on down, I'll give you an hour. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> found my way to your father's place in uh, Saginaw and uh, uh, went inside, and, and uh, he, he was delightful. We talked about fishing, and I, I had a list of about uh, 25 questions to ask him. And I thought, uh, boy, if I got an hour, i got to get this done. Um, so I started, I said, Mr. Newman, I'd like to just go through. He says, oh, what do you got? I said, I've got a, a list of questions because, I, you know, my time is limited. He says, oh, you're organized. I said, well, so, sometimes. <laughs> and, and I think he liked that. Uh, we got about halfway through the questions, maybe two-thirds of the way through, and um, uh, he said, uh, or I, I made the comment, I said, Mr. Newman, I, I, my, uh, my hour is about up. Uh, uh, and he said, oh, no, never mind, never mind the hour. Uh, uh, this is good. And uh, Ryan Hilda, <laughs> Ryan Hilda, his uh, lady friend in the background, whispered to me, "This is good for him. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> distinctly saying, this is good for him. And so we continued, and we ended up out in the shop. Uh, your dad gave me uh, one of his uh, uh, hatch booklets. Uh, he gave me a catalog. Uh, he gave me a couple of flies that were that were very uh, tied by Edith Hartman and one by somebody else that are treasures in the in the museum. He was just so so nice, um, and I, I wrote him a nice thank you letter when I got home. He spent about two plus hours with me. Um, I got home and I wrote him a letter and I invited him to our our cocktail party, which we were going to have before the first exhibit at our cabin on on Shupak Lake. And uh, he said, "No, I, 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 we don't do that anymore." And uh, the night of the party, um, a fellow was coming down the driveway, and uh, he said, "Your guest of honor is here." And I said, "We, we, don't, we don't have a guest of honor." He says, "I think you do. It's Art Newman." <laughs> uh. <laughs> and, and your dad came with Reinhilda, and they spent a delightful hour and a half, uh, just you know, people saying hello. And he went down to the lake and looked at the pretty lake and. It was a treat, a, a memory I'll never forget. It was a it was a very nice gesture. Yep, absolutely. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that, Glenn. I think in his later days, um, he tended to shy away from social settings. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I th- I think it was a cause of some stress for him. It wasn't easy for as as, as easy for him to do as he as he as he did previously in his life. Sure. When he was younger, the, the the social thing was was welcomed and. And, and, and he, he he enjoyed it and and, and did a lot of it, but yeah. I think as he yeah. aged, some some of that for whatever reason, um, he just tended to shy away from it. And the older he got, the the more he shied away. Sure, sure. Well, how fortunate we were to have him for that uh, that evening, and uh, uh, it, w- it was it was like a gift to us and, and the museum to have him there. And everybody left him alone. I mean, just chat with Mr. Newman. Nice to see you. Uh, yep. So I, there was no stress on him. I don't think uh, he, he was a he, he beautiful note. Thank you uh, after they got home, and it was just a treat. It was so, so nice to have him there and have people enjoy Good. it and see him because he he was wonderful with uh, with what he gave us and contributing to our uh, our little museum. So and uh, we are we are honored to have the uh, the memorial Art Newman uh, monument out in front of uh, of our museum. And uh, you want to mention that a little bit? Talk about how that came to be. Yeah, I uh, <clears throat> since I was at the township in the supervisor's position when it started, I probably could have a few words there. Um, it it was the fall after my father passed, and and his Saginaw chapter the, of of, of Trout Limited, which he founded, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, had decided that they'd like to have a monument to our father and that the North Branch was really his home stream, or so he you know, considered it, that couldn't be a better spot than Lovell's. And so Jake Schoeners came to me in an email and said, we would like, and this is like maybe September, we would like to construct a monument uh, that, you know, says Toronto Limited and honors your father and the TU philosophy and uh, construct it on township grounds. And, by the way, we'd like to put the foundation in before freeze-up and have a <laughs> a dedication next spring. I said, oh, this is going to move quick. Mm-hmm. So uh, to, the, to the credit of the Lovells Township Board, 
and the Lovells Township Historical Society, within a month, there was agreement amongst us all that this was a desirable thing to do. It was not only good for Tunnel Limited, it was good for the township, good for the historical society, and we went to work on it. And I think within 60 days, we had the building permit done, approval from the board to construct it on the grounds, and the minor details of insurance and stuff like that all sorted out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so before the freeze-up, we did have foundation in. And uh, when spring came, construction continued, and we had a really uh, most pleasant dedication ceremony. That was a, a great moment for TU and the Newman family and Lovells Township, in my opinion. It sure was. And we had Chris Wood, who was the uh, executive director of TU, come out and speak uh, at that uh, um, dedication to the Art Newman uh, Memorial. Uh, and uh, and he he uh, had just the best things to say about your dad. I, I remember him pointing at me. Chris said he pointed at me once and said, Okay, young man, what are you going to do for the trout? <laughs> yeah, that's him. And, and, <laughs> he didn't beat around the bush. Uh, okay, young man, nope, what no. are you going to do for the trout? And uh, Chris said he never forgot that. <laughs> never forgot that. Well, this has uh, been delightful. Know, Glenn, real quick, uh, just to tag on to that and for our listeners, it, it's worth um, – taken a moment uh to google that up and and look at the philosophy of trout unlimited that that was penned by art um i still I, the line that resonates you know the most is uh take care of the fish and the fishing will take care of itself that's for sure and uh it just uh that that i felt compelled to say it just because it resonates so well, and that development of the philosophy was quite a story in itself. Uh, uh, Art, Art gave me a, uh, uh, a, a copy of his explanation as to how he arrived at that uh, uh, philosophy of Trout, uh, Trout Unlimited. And it's quite a story. We have it uh, on display in our museum in, in the Wanagas shop uh, recreation. And it was an amazing story of, of, of arriving at that through uh, years of, of seeing what's going on and uh, disappointing uh, uh, work with uh, stocking and, you know, put-and-take fishing and the quality of fishing just went to hell, and that's all they were doing was is stocking fish, and nobody was paying attention to the resource uh, habitat for trout. It was just put fish in and let them catch them, and, and I think TU was uh, instrumental in turning that around to the point where now uh, we uh, we revere the wild trout as opposed to uh, what's put into stock, and uh, I think uh, mm-hmm. T.U. and Art Newman were were critical in making that happen. Yep, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Well, this has been a delightful day, uh, a lot of fun, and uh, uh, guys, I have the treat to go uh, Friday uh, with my son and my grandson over to the Pear Marquette, and we're going to see if we can get some of those big silver salmon coming in. Oh, super! You'll enjoy yourself. I think it'll be there fun. There you go. Sounds like a great idea, Glenn. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, uh, Gary, so much. John, you have any other questions for these two fellows before they get away? No, I'll tell you what. We'll leave it on one just to to kind of close the loop on one thing. And, again, for some of our listeners that uh, are in some more distributed areas, um, you know, we keep talking about the Wanagas shop. Uh, 
maybe y'all could uh, explain to the listeners uh, what's that, what that's derived from, and, and maybe how that happened. Oh, sure, good point. Gary, go ahead. You mean wanting a shop and how it evolved? The name, well, of, yeah. The, the naming of it, yes. Oh, Wanigus, that's simple. Wanigus is Saginaw spelled backwards. So I do not know personally how my father decided that that was an appropriate name for his rod shop. But from the very start, it was always Wanigus, and it was Saginaw spelled backwards when he was asked. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, and, I also and know... Way, and, go ahead, Doug. By the way, Dad was a lifelong resident of Saginaw. Mm-hmm. Yes, he ne- he never left in a hundred years, <laughs> uh, <laughs> except to go fishing. That's correct. <laughs> and, and I have in my possession a gift from an old dear friend, a cigar box from the Wanigo Cigar Company. <laughs> so it it was something that did happen in the community, meaning reversing the spelling of the name and uh, you know attaching it to a commercial entity, but. Beyond that, I couldn't answer. I, I had heard that the Wanagas was a uh, uh, Indian tribe at one time. Is there any truth? I to agree that? with that too. It was okay. So yep, it, I, Saginaw, I Saginaw took that and turned it around for their for their uh, city name. Yeah, could be. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have well, it, I, gentlemen. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Gary and Doug uh-huh. and. Uh, Delightful to know you both, and thanks for sharing the uh, history of your memories of your dad, and uh, and uh, for your helping us with the museum and the displays. And you've both been very generous with uh, artifacts and information. And uh, it's uh, pleased to know you both. Thanks so much, guys. And and thank thank both. Thanks to both of you for all the effort you put into that historical society. It's a wonderful thing. Oh, we're having a lot of fun. Well, Glenn, spot on there. We are having a lot of fun. Uh, it was great, great hearing sh- stories from Gary and Doug. And uh, again, Glenn, Glenn and I do uh, take, a, <laughs> take a lot of fun out of uh, conversing with all these folks and uh, enabling them to share their stories with you. So keep listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, mind your backcast.